Welcome to the Hurley Edition. I am Michael Hurley. I am the host of the Hurley Edition. I named it. I hosted it. Here you are listening to it. Thank you so much for checking it out. This is the second episode of the Hurley Edition, and I'm, I'm happy to welcome on someone who is pervasive in the Boston sports media. Someone who, whether you flip your radio on, whether you put your TV on, whether you're Go on the damn internet. This guy is there. His face is telling you about the Boston Red Sox. And frankly, I'm sick of it. So I'm here to let him know that. No, his name is Jared Carabas. He is literally, he's a guest on multiple shows here on the Sports Hub. He's always on Comcast Sportsnet. Like I said, he's he's been around and, and he's really risen to, to I want to say, maybe not prominence. I don't think there's any statues being built to him, but he's been, been he's gotten very popular and well known over the past really in a short period of time, maybe a year and a half, two years, and there really wasn't that progression of getting to know Jared. There was, here's this guy on TV talking about the Red Sox. And so I I just wanted to get to know him. I wanted to get to know the man behind, the man behind the man on TV. So hopefully we get to do that for you. Again, thanks for checking it out. This is the Hurley edition. And, you know, why, why wait around? You've waited long enough. Here's Jared Carabas. I am joined here by... The one and only Jared Gravis, Barstool Sports, Twitter.com, Comcast Sportsnet, 98.5 The Sports Hub, Section 10 Podcast. Is there anything I missed? Uh, as of right now, no. We, no. Do, we do have a WWE podcast that's coming out soon okay. for Barstool. I'm going to be on that. And uh, we're doing an MLB show that's coming out on Barstool soon, too. So Long I'm time coming that. on that. No? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've been, it's kind of like, um, what's that, uh, The Chronic 2? Mm-hmm. It, we've just mm-hmm. been talking about it for a long time, but it hasn't happened. It's like 15 years later. Yeah. You got the show. Mm-hmm. So I want thanks for coming in. Anytime. Thanks for being on. I wanted to have you on because you sort of, I want to say in the past 16 months, have really elevated to this level where whenever I turn on my radio, whenever I turn on my TV, you're there telling, telling me something about the Red Sox. So my first question to you is, who the hell do you think you are? Uh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I just, I don't understand why uh, they keep asking me to do these things, but I, I keep saying yes, and I've been having a lot of fun doing it. But I've gotten really lucky, I think, for the most part. You know, I, I got that opportunity from Barstool Sports back in 2014 and just kind of ran with it. And uh, I was able to create some opportunities for myself, which... Um, when I get asked that question, like, how do you get to, you know, where you are? I'll just be like, you know what? You have to create that opportunity for yourself because people aren't lining up to just hand out gigs in this market. It's, you know, right. it's, it's very much a what can you do for me type market. So you have to show them what you can do for them. So that's kind of how it, it came to be. And you were doing, I mean, I met you back in the 2013 playoffs. Mm-hmm. It was the Will Myers game. We were in the hot shot section of the press yeah. box where we were watching on TV on the delay. Yep. And what what were you doing then? Because I kind of the the I don't have your Wikipedia page. I don't, <laughs> I don't I, even have a Wikipedia. You got to work on that. Sucks. You got to have like a friend sort of do it. And be like, oh, I, I guess I have a Wikipedia page now. <laughs> yeah. But I, I know you were writing. You were you were in the media in some capacity. Then I just forget yeah, what, what so you were doing. What led you to Barstool? Which kind of I I had started my own blog when I was sixteen. So uh, I started my blog. It was called Sock Space. I did that for about eight years before Barstool came and kind of scooped me up. But when I was in the press box back in 2013, I was doing the um, the Red Sox Nation official newsletter. So, Ooh. yeah. So I was I doing... I was not subscribed, so that's why I wasn't... I don't think anybody was. No. Yeah. Well, there was a lot, probably a lot of leftovers from like the, the, the peak of that Sox Nation craze yeah. in the 05, 06 area. Right. 
I don't know who's doing it now, but I was doing it in 2013. It was fun. It was uh, it was a nice little gateway into the uh, the press box, which, you know, I, I I've been up there. I can say I've been up there, but I I don't really see it in my future anytime soon. No, you mm-hmm. like to be a part of it, not be. It was a bucket up list and, thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't I don't like the no cheering in the press box thing. Not that I mean, if you go to a game with me at Fenway, it's not what you would think. Yeah. Like I I'm not like the go crazy, get drunk. I, I don't drink at games. I don't go crazy. I don't really cheer. Um, but I mean, I, I like to have the option. Right. <laughs> like if I right. want to, you know. Just scream an F word if yeah. need be. Right. But I mean, you really can't drink because you're kind of there to, you have to take in the game. You can't forget an inning, really. Right. Yeah. And I also, um, I have a fear of, you know, if someone comes up to meet me, and their first impression of me is me slurring my words. Mm. So, I mean, that's that's unavoidable. I mean, I'll drink after the games. Like, I'll go to, like, a bar after the yeah. games, and people will come up, and I'll be face. But, um, you know, at the game, you know, that's where you can run into meat sources or right. things of that nature. So, yeah, I, I don't really drink at games. I tend to slur my words when people come up to me if I'm stone cold sober. I just don't really know how to approach that. I've to noticed that, that about you. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 I got to work on it. I accept it, though. I've come to just know that that's your thing. So yeah, it's I'm working on it. And so, what better way to handle that than have a podcast? Right. I feel like that's what you should do when you stumble over your words. Right. So you are writing for Barstool now. I have to ask: Do you feel guilty at all? And I'm the last person to criticize for this, so know that. But do you feel guilty about your word counts being roughly 40 times <laughs> the average Barstool blog? Because um, sometimes I go and it's I'm, I'm like 800 words in, and I'm like, how much? How much more do I got here? I I might have to bail. I'll stick it out. It's it's a 50-50 proposition. Yeah. Uh, so it, that's it's, not, that's to say nothing about the quality. It's yeah. Just, I just I'm a I'm a big stack geek. The studio's falling apart, by the way. <laughs> Uh, uh, We're working on it. So the thing about, you know, my Red Sox blogs are long. Like the one that I did today was probably over a thousand words. And I enjoy doing it because there's so many layers and aspects to the game. So I don't know how how deep you want to go into like blog structure. But what I do is every game there's a story. So for example, you know, Monday David Price makes his return. So... Now you're talking about about 500 words that are just on David Price's return, and there's no numbers, there's no statistics, you're just talking about that story. Mm -hmm. And then after you talk about the main story, then you kind of get into the game, and there's different stories within the game, like, you know, Joe Kelly. I did two paragraphs on Joe Kelly, just because we, like, dive deep into... Velocity numbers and yep. you know how many pitchers have have thrown 100 miles an hour this year. How what what percentage of those pitches for, were from Joe Kelly? How many have thrown 101 miles an hour? And then you do you know the same thing with with Joe Kelly. Uh, and then you talk about Matt Barnes is the one that blew the game. And you can write about his trends. You know recently Dustin Pedroia got hurt. Where do we go from here? So um, it's more than just you know like a you know you read in the Boston Globe. A game recap. It's or just four different stories. There's a Pedroia story. There's yeah. A, there's a sidebar in the bullpen. But even like just that. even just the actual game story is basically just a written out version of the box score. Right. I never want to be that. Like I'm looking for different yeah. stories that you can just you know bring some color to. Right. Um, in baseball, there's typically a game ends. I mean, some games more than others, but there'll be a game that could end with 11 different storylines right. coming out. Yeah. Especially in July when it seems to matter a little bit more and there's life to it and, and it's not maybe 
mid-April, uh, 42-degree day against Baltimore or something right. like that. Right. So the way that I kind of do it is, like you said in a newspaper, you could have several different stories come out of one game. I basically just combine them all into one post. It's almost like a Sunday notes column, but every day after every single game. It's unique at Barstool, but it also isn't because I know like Thornton with the Patriots blogs can run long, and I know Rear Admiral with the Bruins recap sort of has the main story and then all the different hit quick hits. So it's it's not entirely unique. It's just when you went there, it's sort of I mean it's you're building this whole barstool baseball thing right is that still happening yeah 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 we do the uh, barstool baseball page and um so i mean like it's i'm a red sox writer but i i'm i'm their mlb writer so every single day i'm writing about the red sox at least one time but i'm also picking out the mlb stories that interest me over the course of the day so i mean we do have a few team specific writers i think there's like nationals orioles phillies um, yankees yankees mets yeah we have like a few there's like a white Sox guy cubs guy um but they're like you light yeah i mean they're like, not doing the the 1200 word no, stories no and they're writing maybe once a week i mean some of those guys are writing once a month so the white that. Sox guy broke the big story last year right didn't he break uh um what did he break he broke a oh, couple the, stories there was a trade that was that he beat everyone to yeah white, he had a white lot Sox of the, dave was yeah that yeah white Sox dave he he uh broke a few um of like the minor league call-ups he had a few things last year yeah so yeah, Barstool guys are are uh, versatile like that. You know, we break stories when we want to. It's true. But, I mean, sort of along those lines, you are still, I mean, not as much as you used to be maybe when you first started doing this. I would say, in quotes, an outsider. You're not the traditional uh, buttoned-up, notepad-out, listening-to-feral-talk-every-day right. type of guy. So. Never. But you are in the media as much as anyone else on the radio, on TV, things like that. So you're... You're kind of coming at it from a different perspective, and your your eyes are sort of maybe wider than some of them. Not wider, but you know what I mean, more perceptive to what's going on. So I don't know. What has been surprising to you in this business to learn about either how they're run or how the people are or how it's all produced? Um I would say I, I was surprised by how welcoming people are. Like I thought that it would be more of a high school environment where people are like more backstabbing going on, more you know talking behind people's backs and yeah. Um, you know, but th- I haven't really had any of that. I mean, the, again, I mean, it's, I'm very public about it, but the only issue I've really had is with Pete Abraham. That's the only guy that's really treated me poorly. Uh, everyone else has been great. You know, everyone that I've worked with would love to work with again. Yeah, I, I've really, I've enjoyed the whole experience so far. But, um, you know, as far as like, you know, the notepad thing, it's, so I had Dan Shaughnessy on my podcast right. that came out today. And we've had this discussion a few times. Like once it was on the baseball reporters, we kind of had it again on, on the podcast. But uh, his main criticism of me in the beginning was how you know you're not in the clubhouse, like you don't talk to these people, blah blah. blah. And I was like, Dan, it's 2017. Like if I want to talk to the players or I want to talk to someone around the team, I can just text them. Like I don't have to be in the room. So the and main also thing, every host of every show on this station and the other station does not go in the locker room. Correct, it's, but it's not I, I that think different. He well, I think he recognizes that guy. Guys like Maz and Felger have done it before. Okay, you know, like they've they've done the whole beat thing, so like they paid their dues or whatever. And in, and in their eyes, I haven't paid my dues, which I I is, think is bull. Is Dan unaware that you've been blocked by Drew Pomeranz on Twitter? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's obviously the guys that are on the team are seeing some of the things that I'm saying because I've pissed off quite a bit of them. Um, but again, I think he was kind of more speaking to the accountability thing. Like if you write this, then you have to face them the next day. And it's like, I'd rather not because I, I, I and I asked him, I was like, don't you think that that 
kind of hinders their the quality of the work. Right. Like if I if I have to go face Drew Pomeranz the next day, do you think I'm going to hammer him as much as I do? But like I probably still would. Um, yeah, because I, think, I do I still think, see them. But I don't think Drew's going to grab you by the throat and no. shove you up against the locker. He's probably just going to go play Xbox in the other room. Right. Yeah. No, but I mean, there's a, there's a obviously it's different, but there's an added benefit of speaking unhindered. Of course, of speaking like the thirty thousand people in the stadium every night. Right. And I think that there are a lot of beat guys that won't say exactly what they want to say or how they feel because they have to protect the relationships that they have with these players and the coaches and whoever. Um, but I've kind of come to find that, you know, you kind of have your relationships with the people that you need to have relationships with. And if you burn bridges, that's okay because you've you've told it like it is. You're catering to your audience. I would much rather um you know, provide a service to my audience than protect people that deserve to, you know, be criticized. Like, that's the whole point. That's why we're here. You know, we're, we're like, we're here to tell it like it is and give a take on something that's honest. Uh, and I feel like a lot of people kind of don't give honest takes because they want to protect people because they have that face-to-face connection. Right. And I don't really value the whole face-to-face thing. Well, and Dan should know more than anyone that I'm sure, I mean, he's been doing it for 40 years. Yeah. I'm sure at some point his mindset just became, well, I'm going to be here longer than this stooge. I'm going to be here longer than this idiot manager mm-hmm. or this awful pitcher or this guy who just can't take it in this city. So uh, there's there's an element of that to what he does that is sort of in line. Granted, you both are very different, but I did find it interesting in the clip that you tweeted out where Dan said we both hate each other <laughs> to you. It didn't. Where the, Does he still hate you, do you think? Um, no, he, that he was ball busting. Yeah. Dan yeah. and I, it was a misunderstanding at first. Like, um, well, he's it, been public enemy to so many groups of fans so many different times yeah. in so many different ways that yeah. it was bound to, to spring up. Yeah. He, he had made a comment in a column that was, you know, people thought it was about me and Zolak and Bertrand called him out on the air and kind of cornered him and he basically admitted it, but didn't admit it. And then I blogged about it and then he kind of got bombarded with emails and tweets about it. And then he ended up asking me to go grab some beers and we talked it out. And I think he has a better idea of, uh, me because he was kind of, um, like I said, his criticism was that I don't talk to players, which is wrong. And then he was saying that I've never been in the clubhouse, which is wrong. And uh, I've written for newspapers. I've written for magazines. I've written a book. Like, he thinks that, you know, which is sometimes true with, with Barstool, that they just pick guys yeah. out random and then make them into, like, these big-name bloggers. Um, that wasn't true with me. Like, right. I had been doing it for eight years before I came to Barstool. So there were some things that he didn't know that I filled him in. And once he knew those things, I mean, yeah, I was like, yeah, D- hey, Dan, I-, I covered high school sports for like five friggin' dollars a column. Like, it, it, oh, you were I, getting hosed. Yeah. I was getting 40 bucks a story back in the day. Yeah. I, when I did the, the high school notebook, it was, I think I did like four or five teams and it was five bucks a team. Oof. There were some weeks where I pulled in 200 bucks. Not to brag. Oh yeah, I yeah, never made that was, much. I was I was rolling. Yeah, my, my Red Sox column, I made thirty dollars a column, and then I got five bucks a sport for high school sports. Wow, yeah, bad deal. You gotta you get a better agent when you're uh, <laughs> nineteen or whenever yeah. how old you were doing it. But you take numbers, don't you? What do you mean? When people call you out, you you got a oh, yeah. you got a memory bank in there. Oh yes, grudge yes, holder. I do. Yeah, I'm a big time grudge Cause guy. Because for me, I mean, people say stuff. I mean, I'm not exactly a big wig, but I've done enough where it, I'm talked about and mentioned and whether it's written or on the air or stuff like that and I, i'll remember it and i'll sort of remember that person said something bad about me but i'll just kind of fuzz it over because i don't want to fixate on it i guess and i'm not like a, a namaste hold hands <laughs> yeah. kumbaya type of guy right. but I, I think 
I just find it easier maybe to just not address it, but it seems like you got a list, not written down, but just in your head that oh, you, yeah. don't, you don't need to double check. I remember everything. Yeah, I've always been that way. You know, I've, I've always, even just in my personal life, I remember every little <laughs> detail. Um, I think, you know, for, for writing-wise, for writing purposes, like it helps you that way because I, I have so many different things that I can just re- reference back to. Um, well, when you did come out with the P-Day P- Manifesto, yeah. clearly that was uh, a long time coming in yeah. the old... Carabas brain. Yeah, that was uh, you know I was I was taking notes every time that he would kind of chip away, chip away, and piss me off. I was like, <laughs> I'm making a note of all this, and it's gonna come out eventually when you just give me a little push, and that's all it took. And yeah, I kind of just you know ripped him to shreds because he deserved it. I, I didn't feel bad for that, and I don't regret it. Is it? And I kind of noticed this about you, the way you promote yourself and things like that, which you have to do because, like you said, no one's gonna do it for you. Right. That there's like there's a there's a distinct you know persona there that I don't know if it's inspired by your your pro wrestling fandom yes, it is so so you play into that you sort of it seems like a fun way to live yes to be a professional wrestler yeah it is not that you are a professional wrestler but you definitely have that that side where it's the self-promoting chest thumping yep. body slamming type of person yeah so I, and it's funny that you mentioned that because that's exactly how I approach it I approach uh the blogging industry as you basically are a pro wrestler like you know dave dave portnoy is vince mcmahon all the (laughs) bloggers are essentially wrestlers and you know you need to come up with your catchphrases like gold bottles you know that's can you smell what the rock is cooking you know Mm -hmm. it's like after every win after every match the rock wins you know he's can you smell what the rock is cooking after every red sox win it's gold bottles um you know you put it on t-shirts like that's why it's what we do at Barstool is so different from what Dan Shaughnessy does at the Boston Globe, and they they don't get that. But uh, it is, you know, it, it, like part, sometimes with like the Pete Abraham thing, you as a blogger, you are now part of the story. Like something that's being written on your publication, the writer is part of the story. Whereas you know Dan is never ever writing a story that he's involved in. Like that just doesn't happen at the Globe. Um, so that's your your big difference. And there was actually. Um, there was a survey uh, posted on like the Reddit page, like the Barstool Reddit page, and it was very detailed and in depth. And they asked like the Barstool readers, like, "What kind of stories do you like the most?" And the highest percentage was like, you know, the behind the scenes Barstool stories, like the yeah. stories about the guys, the drama. And, yes, like so. You know, that's kind of you know, I obviously stick to sports as much as I can, but. You know, if you have a story that has, you know, you can sink your teeth into a little bit that you're involved in, it's it's different because you can sort of put that out there. So on that note, will Dave Portnoy ever learn to pronounce your name correctly? No. And I mean, I think... <laughs> I think it takes effort at this point. Yeah, he knows. He knows how to pronounce it. But it, that's, again, that's part of his, his shtick. And uh, it's the same thing, like, in wrestling. There's, a, there's like, a, a Tom Phillips. He's a backstage interviewer. And, like, Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens, they always call him the wrong name on, on purpose because mm-hmm. it's funny. They'll be like, all right, Tim. All right, Timmy. Or The Rock used to dump on Michael Cole quite often. Yeah, and Jonathan Coachman. Yeah, it's the, it's the same thing. I love so, The Rock, so it's, yeah. it's all going to be about The Rock if we're talking wrestling. Yeah, like, Barstool is like the Muppets, almost. <laughs> it's like you have, you have the story, like, beh- behind the scenes, but you also have, you know, you have the main show yeah. and that's 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 barstool well maybe you can help me explain this because i'm not like i mean barstool has always been this lightning rod on the internet uh, obviously it's it's taken different shapes over the years the website what it's there for what it produces but there is this what i've lacked the understanding of because i've never been like firmly 
anti or firmly pro Barstool. It's just mm-hmm. sort of a website that you go to sometimes that you use for different reasons. And I've 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 never been able to understand the cult of Barstool. <laughs> like the the people who would like just like Bobby from Milton who would go out and basically die for Dave Portnoy. Yeah. And it's it's fascinating to me that there is this distinct culture of 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 stoolies that I I would I, I don't quite get and maybe you have a better understanding of it that you've been in it somewhat you're somewhat new to being on that side of it and I don't know where you were before that like what 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 the hell what what are stoolies what's going on like what is going on there well it's because it's it's the core values of the website it's it's by the common man for the common man and you know you look at a guy like Dave who's not really living a common man life so much anymore but (laughs) he worked um, his ass off to get exactly so that's that's the message that I'm getting from from these people right I mean if you've been with Barstool so I've been reading the website since 2007 I met Dave for the first time in two 2011 like uh I've, I've just seen the progression of dave portnoy the man and just how many different character changes he's gone through over the years so another wrestling comparison would be like sting it's like sting is still sting but he just he looks different in all these different yeah. stages of his career and that's dave portnoy he's still el prez but it's just you know you have different stages of el prez as as he kind of progresses you know you have to um He's not really showing up to uh, women's protest with his puppy dog <laughs> right. poster anymore. Yeah, I mean, you you have to reinvent yourself to stay fresh, and especially now because Dave is is invented so many different stars. Like you know, he's got KFC, he's got Big Cat. You know, PFT was more of a, an established commodity before he came to Barstool. He's but, risen though, I think. Right, Barstool has definitely elevated him. Um, you know, quite a bit with you know, pardon my take. So, um, but yeah, it's it, I think with the connection to Barstool, the fans just feel that connection because of I think the personal stories. Like when you're when you're also when your content is you know we're blogging about sports, we're blogging about politics, we're blogging about pop culture, but we're also blogging about the inner workings of. Barstool. So right. if you're a consumer of the product and you're watching the videos, you're listening to the podcast, you're reading the blogs, you feel like you're one of our friends because you know us as people more than just writers. So I think that that's why they get so invested is because you know they feel closer to us because we're so accessible. That was a good answer. Thanks. That helped. That helped. Now I understand a little bit better. I'm, I'm here to help. Here you go. That's my job. And so Dave's your boss? Uh, co-worker Dave. Eric co-worker is my boss. Dave. Okay. So <laughs> on the day-to-day, there is no day-to-day instruction, I imagine. I imagine they're sort of let you free to do your thing. They know what you're going to do on yeah. a regular basis. Though he does uh, publicly call you out if you're not jumping on something emergency. I remember something broke. The Jess Moran story. Yeah, and yeah. You, you, were, you were delayed on that one. I was gun-shy because... I wasn't like friends with Jess, but like we had a, like a you know a friendly connect- enough. Yeah, we were friendly to enough. Make like it we weird. Were, yeah, we knew each other, and like if she saw me, she'd say hi and vice versa. Um, but yeah, like when that story dropped, and it was it was also a Friday news dump. So I was like, you know, should I wait to blog about this because like no one? It was like Friday at yeah. five o'clock. I, I was, was like, at the beer store. It was yeah, like six thirty, and yeah. I saw it on Twitter. I was waiting in line. I was like, huh? I was tweeting about it, but I you know he was yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. like, are you gonna are you gonna write about this? Or are you just gonna tweet about it for two hours? And I was like, oh. F- like I gotta go write about this, <laughs> yeah. but um, yeah, you know, Dave and I have a good relationship, but uh, you know, the day to day thing is I never hear from him, which would freak most people out. And you know, you kind of feel like you're on an island because they're all in New York and I'm in Boston. But he at the beginning he was like, if if you don't hear from me, that means you're doing a good job. Right. You know, he's like, if you hear from me, then that means that you're doing something that you shouldn't be, or like I need more from you if I have to, you know, constantly be up your ass. Um, 
but I never hear from him. So right. yeah, I mean, a, a, a day in the life or a week in the life, you know, is, is very time consuming. So he's not really up our asses about that. You going to go down there at all? Do a little stints in New York or I've been there one time. I, I've been there one time and I think we're going to be, uh, I think I'm going there soon because I have to do a promo video for the new wrestling podcast. Oh. So we're going to do a video to kind of, you know, unleash the beast, so to speak. Well, that'll tie in uh, for questions from Twitter. Yeah. Uh, the first question from Twitter is, how much do you love taking steroids? <laughs> a lot. I love yeah. taking steroids. Yeah. It's Pills, uh, super needles. enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. yeah both. No, I made that up. No one, no one asked that question. That oh. was me. Yeah. I do have to, uh, another more serious question about your appearance. Okay. Is the beard ever going to come off? Because you're, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a beard on, beard off guy myself. Yeah. But I don't. I don't think other than old pictures where you kind of look squirrely on the internet. I don't right. think I've ever seen you beardless. So I haven't. I, this actually is a Patriots playoff beard from the year that. Uh, <laughs> what? Yeah, when they played uh, the Broncos, when Tim Tebow was on the Broncos. What was that? Twenty uh, eleven. Eleven or ten? I want to say eleven. Yeah, because yeah, ten was when they lost to the Jets. Yeah. So I I grew the playoff beard for the Patriots that year, and I was like, you know what? I really like this, and I I haven't shaved it. So it was it was more tight to the face then, but mm. then when the Red Sox were in the World Series in 2013, I was like, I'm growing this out. Well, because they had the beard thing going right. on, and the most embarrassing thing I've ever seen uh, from any fan base was grown men wearing fake beards around Fenway Park. Yeah, that was weird. You're a man, you can grow it. I mean, if you're a kid or you're a woman, right. or maybe if you're if you if you can't grow a beard, that's one thing. But yeah. just don't don't put a fake beard on. Yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. It was, like was a grizzly situation. So I I grew it out for the 2013 World Series, and I was like, I like the thicker you know look. So I I, I stuck with that, and I'll never shave it. It's never. it's like a socially acceptable mask, so to speak. Okay, does it make you feel safe on yeah. TV? Yeah, it does. I feel that. Mm. I can I can see that. Because when I shave sometimes, it's just, I don't like the way my face looks. There's right. so much more face. Right. There's so many you're imperfections. You, you're not, you know, the, you start looking at your chin. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a bad, it's a bad look. All right. I'll probably keep my beard for a while now. Yeah, do that. I do want to go back. I probably should have done this earlier when you were doing your, your background uh, and how you got to Barstool. But what did you, because I feel like your your pervasiveness in the media is interesting and i feel like you're going to end up in journalism textbooks because oh you didn't you didn't you know do the des moines register to the to the chicago fourth newspaper to no. the whatever to get to where you are so i mean did you were you a journalism major i was a business major business yeah so <laughs> we all should have just done business then pretty much yeah, yeah my so the way that I looked at it was that college was always a backup plan for me. I went to college because I I wanted to... So when I started my blog, this was 2006, which was basically almost 2005. I started on New Year's MySpace? Day 2006. Was it a MySpace blog? It was a MySpace okay. blog, yeah. Because I couldn't afford... I was 16. I couldn't afford hosting or web design. Wasn't a live journal fan? I... I no. I had was, a live journal. was not a live journal guy, but I, I read remember them. in 05... Running a really pissed off blog, uh, the Gary Sheffield night when Gary Sheffield to the windmill. Yeah, yes, I was. The, the, yeah, when, I remember uh, that. And Tanyan Sturtz had to be held back from the bullpen as if Tanyan Sturtz had any reason to be upset. New Hampshire guy. I think. Yeah, I yeah. was. I was mad that night. I was hot. My live journal entry was <laughs> steaming that. Yeah, night. live journal. Yeah, th I remember those. That was mostly for emo stuff, though. When people yeah. had live journals, I was like, mm. yeah, it was mostly that. But I tried to revolutionize the game. It didn't work. Yeah. It, it was it was definitely ahead of its time for for what you were trying to do. Right. Then. Yeah. Right. Most people used it for emo entries when I wasn't I wasn't really interested. It was very uncomfortable, but you had to keep reading. Right. So I had started the blog 
New Year's Day 2006. So back then. So were you like 18? 16. You already said that three times. <laughs> so uh, at this point, my only options were the Herald or the Globe. If I wanted to like do this for a living and make money uh, and I would have to give up my fandom to do it. And I was like, you know what? I don't really want to do that. Like I want to, I, I, I think I would rather keep this a hobby um, and be able to write like a fan because I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. And I see a lot of value in writing the way that the fan sort of thinks. And it's like, if I'm a fan, I want to read someone that's kind of going through what I'm going through over right. the course of a season. Like if I, if if you like, there's a lot of Mets fans that cover the Red Sox. Like I think Tim Britton, Jason Mastronato, Steve Buckley. Not that I'm saying like don't read their work, but I'm right. just saying like if I'm a consumer of you know Red Sox content, it's like you're a Mets fan. Like how are you going to tell me how I feel? Yeah. And you know th- those guys are reporting the facts. Right. I report like the emotions. Um. So. It, back then, it was like, you know, you have to end up at the Globe or the Herald if you want to, like, make it anywhere. And then I would have to give up being a fan, and I didn't want to do that. So I went to school. I went to Endicott for business because I was like, I'm fine with taking a desk job somewhere, doing some marketing job, and doing sock space on the side because... um that's my passion. It was like therapy. It's like I can't just watch the game and be like, all right, I'm going to bed. It's like I need to bitch about this if I need to bitch about this. And I don't right. even care who's reading it. If people are reading it, great. If they're not, who cares? Like I'm just getting it out there. And that was that was the goal. And then Barstool, I mean, Barstool didn't offer health insurance until a month after I got there full time. So that was like Good February. Timing. Yeah, February or March of 2016 is when they started offering health insurance for the first time. So Does that cover your steroid regimen or? No, that's that's on that's, the side. Okay. Yeah, that's overseas. Okay. Um, Makes sense. Yeah, there's no Bitcoin. taxes either, yeah. which is great. Uh, but with that, it's like this is this genre of covering sports is still kind of new. Like I know that people look to it as um, the Bill Simmons blueprint, so to speak, which well, I, I, I you sound just like him the way that he describes how his career started, where he was a bartender <laughs> and he wrote in the side and he didn't want to, he looked at the columnists at the globe and the Herald and realized you had to be 60 year old man to get it. And he wasn't in line for that. So yeah. it, it is similar. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely see the parallels. Uh, but with Simmons, I mean, like that's, he's, he's the bar, you know, like that's the bar that you try to reach at least from a writing perspective. Um, but yeah, I, I, this is something where I got, I lucked out because of the timing. I was young enough mm-hmm. and I had been doing it long enough so that it wasn't just like, okay, Barstool is big now and it's 2016. I think I'll try this out. Like Dave knew that I had been doing it for so long. And I think that he took to that because yeah. he saw a little bit of a a little bit of himself in that because, you know, this is a dude that was blogging, you know, 14 hours a day for several years to right. build Barstool to the brand that it is. Uh, and he saw someone that was kind of doing the same and trying to build their own, you know, brand and, and do their own thing. And that's kind of how it all like came to a head. I am curious how your fandom has evolved because, I mean, I can speak for myself. I grew up a diehard Red Sox fan, living and dying with every pitch. 04 was my freshman year in college, so it was like the perfect storm of everything coming together. Had a uh, customized Dave Roberts jersey. Mm-hmm. That, like the, your typical Boston, you know, piece of crap that <laughs> loves going to Fenway Park and being whatever. But I, I don't know whether it's because of my the profession I got into, whether it was age, life, experience, whether it was just them winning twice while I was a college-age person. I don't know. But, I mean, I can tell you now, I my fandom is is for sure dead. And it's not dead like, oh, I want everyone around me to be sad and I want the team to lose. Yeah. But it's just I'd be I would be disingenuous if I said I, I cared really about the daily 
results of the baseball team or that I really needed the Red Sox to win. I, I like watching them. I watch them every night. I like certain players. I like watching different things like that. But to me, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't really. I never decided to stop being a diehard fan. It just kind of happened. happened. So I'm wondering, has there been any dip at all in you? I know you've you've watched every Red Sox game ever, forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Has it? Has there been any impact in in what you do? And, and and especially now that you're on TV and on the radio a lot more. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I mean, I I I still get super excited when they win. I get pissed off when they lose. I'm you know when they're in the playoffs, I'm very into it and. Um, but I think how it's changed is, you know, you meet some of these guys and you get to know them as people versus just players. And I, I think back to, you know, when I'm in high school and middle school and, you know, looking up to guys like Nomar and, you know, I, I wonder if, if, if you had met some of these guys back then, like if I, if 2004, was right now and I was doing what I'm doing right now career wise would it have felt different when they finally won because now I know some of these guys as people versus just players that I have no connection to whatsoever and that's good and bad it's good and bad yeah because you know like like perfect example Brian Johnson like I consider him like a friend and because I've I've watched him come up since a ball and you know we've we've met and we've hung out and he's a great guy and it's like he's so easy to root for that it almost enhances your experience because now I'm like sitting at a bar watching my friend throw a complete game shutout at Fenway and his first Fenway start and like his buddies there who I know and you know they're showing him in the stands going nuts with his dad and his brother and his girlfriend and right um, so in a way, it enhances it. But then you, sure. on the flip side, it's like, okay, but now uh, I think Drew Pomeranz is a p- because like the guy blocks me on Twitter and like he, I I saw him at Fenway a few weeks ago and he like gave me like the stink eye and it's like all right buddy like it's like lighten up like I <laughs> I called you Drew Pomeranz like are you really gonna get that upset about it like I write for a comedy site so um, you kind of get to see which guys are oversensitive mm-hmm. like you know the Pablo Sandoval's of the world the the Joe Kellys the Drew Pomeranzes the guys like that. And I think that that kind of takes away from it because you, I'll never stop rooting for the Red Sox, but there are some guys that it's like you just you know too much and you can't help but not root against them, but just like I, I mean, not be super enthused by. Yeah, like I'm not going to be super excited when Pomeranz strikes out 11 guys. I just kind of give a golf clap and it's like all right, whatever. But I do think that's what different. What is different about you, at least, is that you're a fan and you make no bones about it. I mean, do you have a Red Sox tattoo? I do. I've uh, multiple. I, yeah, I have uh, a Red Sox tattoo on my leg, but then I have my season ticket. Uh, right, right, yeah, I've seen the, that one. the stub and the seat on my chest. So, like, obviously, you are a Red Sox fan, and you don't hide it, but you also don't write that everyone on the Red Sox is great and everything yeah. they do is right. If they got in a fight, I mean, I, I don't know exactly off the top of my head what your whole take on the Pedroia Machado thing was, but things like that, you're not automatically Red Sox were right, other team wrong. You're pretty honest about it, and I think that's what maybe when the the Dan Shaughnessy of the world say, oh, fans writing about the team, they don't really expect that. Yeah, it's because they go off my Twitter too much. Like if right. you actually my my actual writing on Barstool differs from my tweets a lot. Like my tweets are mostly pro Red Sox, um, but like if you read the blogs, I mean, like I'll crush people when they deserve to get crushed, and right. and I'll go over the top sometimes to the point where. Um, 
you know, Clay Buckholtz wanted to like kill me like a couple years ago. He like, couldn't the, have done it. No, so at <laughs> least there's some comfort in that. Yeah, yeah. like his fists would have turned to dust if he tried He's to up. punch me in the face. But like Bryce Harper's a lousy puncher. Where do you see Clay uh, drop the mitts? Yeah, so that, that that's the thing, and I think that some of them have realized this over time, where it's like you know, if you want to actually get a feel for what he's about, read the blogs. Don't just make your you know perception of him known based off of his tweets because they're not they're not one and the same. Well, a wise man once said, who also covers the Red Sox, only three percent of the world is on Twitter. So you he can't, did say that <laughs> you can't really use that for much any uh, judgment. Yeah, the ass man. He's, <laughs> he's always has wise words for the world. Yeah. D- did you um. Did you have any fallout on the Sandoval thing, either from the team or like from the Sandoval's people ever say like, "Hey, no, I would, don't I'm, ever, uh, no, don't ever talk to my large adult son again." <laughs> no, I uh, I was surprised by that. I mean, like Pablo blocked me, but that's about it. I didn't really, I didn't hear from any of his people. I, I mean, I, I did. Uh, I expected w- something. There was there was blowback, but not from his circle or anything. Hmm. I mean, I got like. Uh, a lot of you know people tweeting me, calling me a snitch. Like people friended me on Facebook to like give me death threats and stuff. And I was like, wait a second, like why? Why would you go out and just tweet me or send me an email? Or I didn't even like, know what? he had fans that were to that level. I don't even think that they are, like now, especially in like the Trump world. It's like there's always the the story of the day that people get so uh, outraged about, and then they True. move on to the next story. So. I don't even think that people were really mad about it. It was just like, oh, this is this is the viral story of the day. I'm mad about this. And then they attack me. And then it's not something that they hang on to for the rest of their lives. Like they've probably, all the people that said something negative to me after the Sandoval story have probably long forgotten about it and have gotten mad about a thousand stories right. since then. The source of, I should, probably should have explained it to anyone listening that I, I can't assume that they know, but it's basically Sandoval was taking a dump in the middle of the game and liking yeah. some half naked picture on Instagram and you. You you tweeted it said I don't want to blow up his spot and you in turn blew up his spot. But. Yeah, but I I posed it as a question. I said, "Is Pablo Sandoval on his phone?" I didn't say, "Hey everyone, look, Pablo's on his phone." Right. I said, "Is he?" And on also, his it's phone? funny you weren't you weren't like getting him suspended by the by the league. You were <laughs> you were kind of saying, "Well, I don't even know what your intentions were," but I read it and think that's pretty funny because this guy's an absolute. <laughs> I won't say clown, but I would say he doesn't take his job entirely seriously. And no. that, was like, that was like the perfect illustration of it. And that's yeah. a story that wouldn't have gotten out otherwise. Right. Yeah. And it was uh, like he basically admitted it afterwards. Like he did an ESPN Deportes interview where he admitted to being complacent for the first two years of his contract and saying he didn't care. Which is sort of not just a Sandoval thing. That's a baseball player signing a big money contract. I mean, it's right. it's accentuated by his weight and things like that and not staying healthy, but well, to, to he's kinda, not the first player to slack off in the first two years of a $70 million deal. Right. But to circle back on the, the conversation about what I do versus guys like Shaughnessy, um, like they, Shaughnessy would kill for that story. Yes. He would have killed for that story. <laughs> There's that and the fact that like, I openly admit that if it were someone like Mike Napoli liking pictures of girls on Instagram during the game, I would not have tweeted it. Like I wouldn't have. Right. So it's not like I am... Like a journalist that's just like, you know, I'm covering the team and this is a story. And like, if, if I'm not doing things for attention or for credibility, I just threw it out there. I did not think that it would catch fire like it did. Right. But I openly admit that I mean, I did tweet it because I did think that it would make him look bad because I didn't like his attitude. He wasn't performing well. The team wasn't performing well at that point. So I was like, who cares? But if it was Mike Napoli, like, yeah, that's a dude that I'm going to protect because, you know, he won a World Series here. Um, great guy, had done plenty for the city. 
Pablo was the exact opposite. Right. So yeah, I mean, it's that's where I sort of differ from like a journalist. Like I'm, and I, you're when, honest about it. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not I can't sit here and be like that's wrong because you're just telling me yeah. what you would do. Right. That's that's what you're gonna do. Correct. Uh, David Price. David Price. You still buddy buddy at all, or is that kind of cooled down? Um, I think he's he's kept his distance a little bit since he's been here, which I think. I think is a, a favor to me because I think he realized it. Like when we first started communicating, this was back in 2013, and you know it was Jared, the Red Sox fan. Like I don't think he realized like what it is that I wanted to do for my career. What did you say that got you blocked in the first place? Uh, he tweeted, it was innocuous, wasn't it? He tweeted something about um, a snowstorm, and he said, "You know, it's really bad out there. Ladies, let your man drive." And I said, "Yeah, David, you." Uh, I was like, "Women drive in snow almost as good as you pitched to David Ortiz in the playoffs." It's not. I mean, that's that's actually. You know, he should have taken that one. Yeah, and he blocked me, but we became friends because he blocked me. So I was. I think. You know when well, we when you get when you're on Comcast and Felger's screaming at you to defend him, <laughs> and you're not really you're not David Price's agent, yeah. so it's not really like you're motivated to to provide when he gets tagged for six runs in yeah. three innings. That's not really your position necessarily. So it, it definitely seemed like an uncomfortable place to be last year. Yeah, I mean I I've talked to him here and there. Like we keep in touch. We don't talk like consistently kind of let it lay in the weeds for yeah, if we, ever it's it's needed to be revived and if anything like i don't i don't contact him for information if i talk to him it's as a friend in a, in a friendly tone like it's hey good luck today or hey hope you're okay you know after the elbow thing stuff like that it's not like hey have you heard anything about like i'm not looking to break news if yeah. i ever break news it's because someone texts me and said hey do you want to break some news yeah. swear to god i mean um and, and most of the time, like I'll pass stuff off to other guys. Like if I like hear some story, I'll be like, "Hey, you want this?" Because I I don't want the the headache of oh, who do you think like, you're not in the clubhouse? Like wh- who do you think you are breaking news? Like because that's all I get when I break stories. But then I just sit back and laugh after, and you know they confirm them a week later. So you dropped the dime to Rosenthal that no one likes Farrell. <laughs> uh, yeah, you. yeah, that was me. Um, but. what did you think about David Price's little off season Twitter pitter party? Twitter Twitter pity. Twitter pitter Twitter Twitter this is this is Twitter, dangerous ground Twitter pity Twitter pity party yes because <laughs> I thought that was just as bad a look as he's had since being here where everything he tweeted was I know win a playoff game and it was like dude you're on vacation in Hawaii like drop it who is getting married in Hawaii Ugh. that was his wedding that was his first tweet just land in Hawaii here's a beautiful lake I know I know win in the playoffs it yeah. was like can't, dude can't lose a playoff game here you got to talk to someone yeah. Uh, so I had asked him to come on the section 10 podcast, uh, after the season, because I was like, listen, you know, I I think you got off on the wrong foot with Red Sox fans because of seven starts. So Red Sox fans. Well, I mean, he, he led the league in innings pitched and like, that's, that's not seven games started. He obviously wasn't an all-star type player, but innings pitched is a pretty significant statistic in rotation. I mean, he didn't hold up his end of the bargain in terms of the contract, but he, he 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 got people out. He ate up innings. He led the league in starts. It's like yeah. he showed up. He didn't do great. One but of the it strikeout leaders and yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a catastrophe by any means. It was a letdown. Yeah. So uh, I, I basically have memorized the numbers because I've gone through the friggin' argument so many times. But it was his first seven starts. He had a six seven five ERA. His next twenty six starts was like a three oh one. So he's like a top ten pitcher in the American League. And he ended so, up three nine nine, which is like. Not a great. run, well, a run off where he wants to be, or a so, little more than a run. The other thing too is that you know Red Sox fans are big on first impression. 
First impression was not good. Seven starts, six and six, seven, five ERA, and then he didn't finish the season well, and then he sucked in the playoffs. Right. But for twenty six starts, and we're not cherry picking here. They were twenty six consecutive starts in the middle of the season. That's and, two whole clay buckled seasons. Yes. Like if you look at like a uh, a really good season for a starting pitcher, they make about thirty starts. Right. So twenty six starts, his ERA was three, which is really good. But the other thing too is that those last like I think it was like his last like four. Or Three or four starts at the end of the year, he sucked. Um, but his best friend died. Right. Like it, yeah. his season went off the skids there in September, right after his best friend died. Yeah. Uh, so people don't like factor in the human element that goes into it. I mean, David Price, and it was like his second or third yes. best friend to die, and Correct. he's only twenty nine, thirty years old. Yeah, he's thirty at the time. Yeah. yeah. So like that's a lot to to handle. Like he is a human being, uh, and like people that are listening to this are like, oh, you know, cry me a river. He makes thirty million dollars. Like money doesn't buy the ability to just get over your best friend dying. Right. Like I don't understand that line of thinking. Like if my best friend, like I think he made, like he found out his best friend On, like, died a Saturday night and pitched the Sunday afternoon or something. I think he found out that morning. I think he found out that morning and still made the start that day. So. Yeah, like I, 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 people, Boston fans are relentless, and I, you know, sometimes I respect it when you know it's like shut up and pitch and do your job, and we're paying you this, and you well, know, you're Buckle here to win a championship. When and, Clay sleeps on his shoulder, yes, or like, you know, whatever the hell he has going on, yes, it's, 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 enough is enough. In situations like that, it's like all right, suck it up and pitch, but not when your best friend died that morning, yeah. and then people want to be like, oh yeah, he sucked at the end of the season, he ran out of gas. Like no, like there's definitely some other things at play here. Yeah, and that's kind of a lose lose situation where if you bring it up, you're making an excuse yep. and then it becomes a story and you get yeah. to talk about it and all that so and, and i so i mean it, the the whole bunk beds thing and like the shout out at the press conference like that was great that was great for content but it's almost like you know it's, it's a gift and a curse because you got that viral moment but now like you're david price's excuse maker when right. really i mean i'm i'm using numbers here like if i when, there were people that were using like the weather as an excuse and it's like okay like that's a little ridiculous but when you're using actual statistics and i'm breaking the season down and showing you numbers how he was actually good that's not excuse making i'm just giving you a story that you like don't want to accept for whatever reason so you need to look at yourself and like wonder why you know you can't accept that david price is season right. was actually better than you think it was. I think there's there's definitely two different sides because I think the Twitter pitter mm-hmm, the Twitter, Twitter pity pitter, part I told you I slurred my words. I thought that that was bad. I thought his interview with Stan Grossfeld where he's like, "Oh, people are going to get mad that I'm not getting yeah. dunks that I'm getting." It was like you're 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 deeper in your head than any crazy fan ever could be, but right. I do think there's an element of that. And now he's pitching through an injury that he could have easily sat out for. I mean, it's yeah. it's it's another lose-lose situation probably where if he pitches poorly, we know why, not too dissimilar from John Lackey pitching through this the similar elbow injury. Yeah, but you know, to your question about like the connection with Price. Mm-hmm. Like we were a lot closer before he came to Boston. Like we've almost distanced ourselves from each other since he's been here and I don't know if that's by design because I haven't really said anything that would upset him, I think, but I yeah. think you also um, have to be honest. I mean, right. he's gotten shelled, and I think I've seen you on TV and been like, "Yeah, he he didn't pitch well today." It's, yeah. it's not you're not you know drawing rainbows and sunshine after. Yes, that. and I think he sort of you know when we became friends in 2013 and 2014, I was not doing this professionally, so I think he saw a fan that was just really passionate about his team and yeah. loved baseball because I like David Price. Um, 
I think he just, you know, he was drawn to that because he used to love the Twitter engagement. And that's why I think he's so miserable all the time is because something that he used to love, his connection to baseball fans and go on Twitter. And it's like, I'm immediately connected to all these people and, you know, we can have fun and do all these things. Uh, it's, it's a lot easier to do when you're in Tampa Bay. Yeah, and it's now taken away from him because if he goes on his Twitter, it's just like he's going to look at mentions and be like, oh, Jesus yeah. Christ, like this is not good. So that's taken away from him. And, you know, just the element of it's like, okay, well, Jared is not like the fan Jared that he used to be. Like now he's doing this for a living. Now his job is to, you know, criticize me if it if it's merited. So right. I'd rather not, you know, be too close right. here, which is I get it. I, I totally get it. Brian Johnson gets rocked later this year. I'm looking at you. That's I, I mean, want to see it. I, I hope that doesn't happen. Um, so, I mean, we can move past David Price and sort of sort of wrap things up. And you mentioned Shaughnessy being on the Section 10 podcast. Yeah. And as a veteran of trekking to Pete's basement and, and sitting there, we had a popsicle eating contest. We did. Um, it, it didn't go well. It was, I think Pete had like 11 and we each had one. Yeah. Um, is it just wild to you that it's it's grown as much as it hasn't? I mean, just the guest list you've had this year alone, to from going from just two dopes in a basement trying to figure <laughs> out how to connect microphones to what right. you are now. I mean, it, that's got to be a pretty wild. Uh, that I mean, that that's about two years now. Uh, yeah, we started um, spring training 2015. So it's it's grown pretty quickly each year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, Steve has been a big part of the growth there because. Um, you know, he's come in as like a third voice, but the production value is, I think, so when we started doing the podcast with just me and Pete, the whole idea was to do it as we're still doing it now. It's like a, um, it's a men's lifestyle podcast, but we talk about the Red Sox and Mm -hmm. we have fun with it. And it's just, it's not X's and O's. It's, you know, guys, the way that you would talk about the Red Sox at the bar and which there was a definite void. Yeah. In the podcast market, and I still think there is. Yes, yes. So we kind of... Aside from yours, obviously. Yeah, we, we did that, and I don't think that word kind of got... It was just like, oh, it's just another Red Sox podcast. Like, you know, it's I can just turn on EEI or the Sports Hub or whatever, and, like, there's, there's going to be Red Sox... I can turn on Channel 7, and there's going to be Red Sox talk. But I think with the videos... You should we, watch Channel 4, Jared. Channel 4, yeah, yeah Channel 4 as well. Channel 4. Yeah, and... Thank you. Okay. Sorry, carry on. Anyways, so we started putting out the videos... And that is an extra element or like the preview videos. It's like a minute or two minute preview of the podcast. And people are like, wait a second. Like this isn't just regular Red Sox talk. Like they're, this is funny. You know, they're having fun. And um, so our numbers have kind of exploded since we, you know, started showing our Twitter audiences Mm -hmm. what the podcast is really all about. And people have been drawn to that. And, you know, the the audiences get involved. Like we have the voicemails, which is basically like our tip of the hat to the wire line from back in the day. And. Uh, yeah, it's a little it's, bit more raw than the Weiner line, I would say. A little bit yeah, less, less character-driven and yes. more human emotion-driven. Yeah, it's it's the Weiner line uncensored, pretty much, the Red Sox version. And, yeah, it, it's it's been crazy how, I guess, you know, you start to build that list of guests, and mm-hmm. then you say, you know, people, you know, we, Pedro, like, their people reached out to us. They're like, hey, can you know, yeah. do you want Pedro on? And we're like, yeah, nah. yes, yes, we want Pedro on. Um so yeah, it's it's been crazy, and uh, we're we're kind of at a spot now where it's you know it's a it's a community. You're not just like people people aren't just like trying it out anymore. They're like they get pissed at us if it's not up at like a certain time, and I, I love that. I love like you yeah. know having those expectations set where it's like you know every show has to be great or else you know you're gonna hear from it, uh, hear from like the listening audience being like, yeah, that one sucked, and we 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 like that pressure too at least they listen yeah it's, it's great 
you uh, I wanted to talk about you have the um the the voicemails that you mentioned mm-hmm. and I find in in you know I talked about my fandom sort of dying on the hill years ago I find it is much easier to do my job when the Red Sox are a disaster mm-hmm. the Bobby V year work-wise was fantastic yeah uh, in terms of you know misery and things like that obviously it was I don't revel in in everyone around me being miserable but every day I would get to work and I knew I would have some sort of gem from Bobby Valentine to just mold into this story and it just built and built and built and, and beyond that you know the the all right the collapse in 11 wasn't that great to cover because it just kind of it wasn't as obvious it kind of was just a an abrupt ending, but in general, I find when the Red Sox are in shambles, it's a lot easier content-wise to write about them to cover them. It's different for you, I imagine, because you're a fan. You're not <laughs> going to be like, "Yes, they're falling apart." This is, mm-hmm. I can write a good blog. So, how is is do you find that at all being some sort of weight of a balance? Yeah. So I I almost gave up after 2012 because of that. Like I so I was at the time. Uh, the New England gave baseball gave up being a fan or gave up writing. Gave up writing. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. like the complete opposite. <laughs> yeah. So in 2012, I was at the New England Baseball Journal and they had adopted Sock Space. So this was like the really the first time I was getting paid to do Sock Space. And I I mean I got into I mean that that was really the first year. Like if I started in 2006, I mean like they didn't make the playoffs that year, but they they still were above 500, I believe. 07 they won a title and then 08 was probably the best year that Francona had. 09 they made the playoffs. Um but yeah, I I kind of Guerrero hit that ball. Yeah. Yeah, of Papelbon. Papelbon. Yeah, but I think you know, that year it was just there were more stories that just weren't about baseball. Yeah. And, you know, I'm writing about like Lackey's divorce and like Pedroia's doing this and that in the clubhouse. clubhouse and, the the know, texting. Yeah. Bobby the, Valentine the, hates Kevin Euclid. That was and, Patriots Day. That was that was when they actually won a couple day, games in a row. Yeah. And then he comes out and says that Euclid wasn't trying or, yeah. or something to that effect. Yeah. So, like, after that, I was like, this this kind of sucks. Like, this is miserable. Well, it started in the spring, too, with the, yeah, it was the right off fight. The bat. Yeah. Yeah. Right off the bat. And so I think, like, after that year, it had been so miserable to cover that team. And I put together a resume and sent it out to 40 different news outlets in this area, being like, you know, I want to be your Red Sox writer. And um, I got two emails back. One was a no, and one was a, uh, you know, we'll let you know if something opens up. And obviously, I never heard back from them again. So I was like, well... Add them to the list. Yeah. Add them to the list. (laughs) I was just like... I guess I guess I'm not going to do this professionally. And that's really when I took college more seriously because I was just going part-time like whatever. Like, I didn't care about school because I wanted to do this. It's cuz it's a scam. It is a scam. Yeah. So That's I, another podcast for another day, but yeah, college is most certainly a scam. Yeah, bring me back for the college is a scam podcast cuz I'd like to contribute. <laughs> uh but yeah, so that's when I really started to focus on my degree cuz I was like, well, sh- I'm not going to be able to write professionally, so I guess I'm going to have to just stick to doing it, you know, with my own blog, and I'll do the stupid desk job or whatever, which I I did still do. Like I left the desk job to go to Barstool. Yeah. Um, but it was just it was depressing. Like I I didn't enjoy writing negative story after negative story, and that that almost drove me away. To so in 2013, <clears throat> I wrote for um. Jen Royal's website, okay. but I probably wrote a blog like once a month because okay. I was so turned off by 2012 and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to write when I feel like it and whatever. Like I'm going to focus on school. And then that world series really like revived me. Like I was like, all right, like I, this is, it reminded me of what I loved about it. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of just been, uh, you know, rocket ships. That's a that. nice story. Yeah, that is nice. 
Yeah. What 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 would have happened if they didn't win the World Series? You know, things didn't go well. You know, what what would have happened? Where would you be right now? <sighs> Probably still at that You would have been doing job. it. You can't just quit the Red Sox. You I can't just quit I, caring about them enough to stop writing. So, I don't know that I would have quit, but I mean, in 2014, that's when I relaunched Sox Space as its own independent website, and that was the first time that I brought on other writers. Okay. So, Sox Space previously Anyone I know? Um, there's like a lot of dudes that are like at Over the Monster okay. right now. Like June Lee was there. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of Over the Monster guys. Okay. Yeah. And a few like of the, um, baseball prospectus Boston guys. Yeah. So like, you know, they've gone on to, to do just fine, but, um, yeah, 2014 relaunched sock space, brought on a staff and then <laughs> I abandoned ship for Barstool at the end of the year. But it, you know, it was that year where it was like, I was back into it and I was like, all right, you know, I understand 2012 sucked, but like, this is what you want to do. Like there, there's going to be a such thing as years. You just got to deal with it and it is what it is. So I and I say this, you know, we should probably wrap up. I say this knowing it's sort of a dumb question considering you're doing probably I imagine right now you're doing more than you anticipated, like being on TV, kind mm-hmm. of a weird concept. Yeah. I mean I can relate to that. Yeah. There's been times where it's like, What am I doing here? Well you were uh, there my first time with Felger and I was like shaking. Yeah. Like my first time ever on TV, you and I were behind yeah. the curtain and I was like, I don't know what the f to do. I like I don't know how to dress, I don't know how to do my hair. <laughs> I don't know where to look. Yeah. And there's there's much less I don't know feed- how to get into the building. Like you had to let you had to like let me in the back door. I was like I don't know what the hell's going on. And there's so much less feedback and instruction than people might realize. Like you kind of imagine someone's going to be there like maybe do a, a couple test runs or, or yeah. show you how things work, but really it's just like Go. lights camera action. You're in this room where there's only one one person in charge of the cameras. And you don't you don't even know if you're on TV really. <laughs> yeah. It's like we could just be talking in a room and then you leave. Yep. It's like, all right, thanks. And then like no one's like, hey, you did this well, you could work on this, you 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 screwed up here, you could be quicker here. Yep. It's just like okay, see you got trial by fire. See ya. You you just try to make eye contact with someone on your way out and yeah. say say bye. Yep. But I mean saying that and you've you've obviously they've you've done well enough to to stay there. You're there, like I said, every time I turn my TV on, your face is on it. But what? Sorry. And what? Well, yeah. Sorry. What are? I mean, you're 28. 28. So still young. Ish. No, that's young. People mm. still. I'm 30, and people are like, "Oh, you're young," and I'm like, "No, not really." So you're younger <laughs> than me. What? What are the the long term goals? What? I mean, I guess in 2013 your long-term goal is to quit writing forever yeah so it's subject to change but what what are your what are you looking to do considering you've already done so much in the media landscape um i mean it's a great question because thank you i i kind of feel like like how it sounds so douchey how do you go up from here i mean you got no. everything but it's like i you know i i'm, I'm on i'm on the baseball show so it's like you can only do podcasting you can only do tv radio and blog and it's like bar stool is where you want to be if you're a blogger blogging about sports i'm doing that and then you know the baseball show is like the baseball show for tv i'm on that uh you know doing the baseball reporters with tony maz like that was a huge goal of mine to be able to do that and that came true last year um i love working with zolak and bertrand i've been able to do some work with uh toucher and rich mm-hmm. love working with those guys um so and then I, like section 10 is now two podcasts a week and then um we're launching the mlb podcast and we've got a, the wrestling podcast coming out and we're doing this mlb show for barstool so it's like more things are coming that i mean it's 
I don't know, just more of, more of what's happening, I Enjoying guess. Enjoying the ride. Yeah, just, you know. Doing well at it. Feeling really, really lucky is, is my goal. And being able to just, um, you know, stay here. Because, I, you know, the New York, there's, there's definitely a temptation to go to New York. Um, mostly because those guys, those guys get it. You know, it's, it's, you know, living by yourself or having roommates that work other jobs. It, you feel like you could probably benefit from being around people that do the same thing as you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's definitely the temptation for New York. So but I don't it's know hard when you can't just wander into Fenway in the eighth inning, like you did the other night. Yeah. It's hard to, you get disconnected. Yeah. There's I, no doubt that covering the team from 400 miles South is, would affect it in that, some way. That, that, that's also a fear of mine is, you know, how can you be the Red Sox guy if you live in New York? But there is a, definitely a benefit to being in that office because there's some times where I feel like, you know, people probably don't even associate with me with Barstool because I'm not in the office. Right. You know, they'll, You're on the videos and yeah, the, daily, the know, daily pictures and videos. Like I, I see all the stuff on the internet where it's well, like, I you sound know, old. The daily pictures and videos that get shared. You're not in them. Yeah. It's like, you know, like, oh, rank your favorite Barstool bloggers. And I'm not even on there because I'm not in the office. So I, I don't know. Let's add that to your goals. Yeah. Your goals be on the list of, that people can choose from for their favorite barstool bloggers. Right. Yeah. I, Start I d- there. Definitely want to have, um, I guess, more visibility in the barstool office. Yeah. All right. Well, there we go. Hmm. I appreciate the time. I appreciate I you. Because I feel like, oh, thank you. Because, like I said, I started off by saying you are everywhere and it happened quickly. So I feel like there wasn't a get to know Jared period. It right. was sort of like Here he is. From, from zero to 60. And so it was good. So people can follow you on Twitter. There's an underscore in your Twitter, right? Jared underscore Carabas. What's is is the other one taken? I took it afterwards. Why so don't you switch? When I, when I made a Twitter, the dude that showed me Twitter had an underscore, and so blame him. They're he the just, worst. Yeah, he had a can't Twitter. you switch? Yeah, but then I think I would lose the blue check. Get a new one. I guess. What do you need a blue check for? It's risky. <sighs> it's mm. worth it. I got this podcast is the Hurley edition. I got an underscore. It's driving me nuts. I haven't slept in weeks. Can I say that I, I really like the name though? Oh, thanks. The Hurley thanks. edition. I'm I'm the least creative person in the world when it comes to writing like catchy headlines. Like yeah. in college with the newspaper, I could never write the catchy headline. I'm always just sort of like factual. So when I got the Hurley edition, I'm like, oh, that kind of works, and I was good with it. No, but it's more than kinda. It like it works. It works. Yeah. Like what else? What would be better than that? When I release like a CD or a book, I'm gonna write. It works. And I'm going <laughs> to quote Jared Carabas. Thank so, you. So follow him at Jared underscore Carabas. Read him on Barstool. Check him out on the Sports Hub. He's always on Comcast, CNN, Nickelodeon, MTV Classic, <laughs> VH1, live, everywhere. You can't open your eyes without seeing Jared. So thank you so much. Thank you, Hurley. All right. So there it is. Jared Carabas, Barstool Sports. I want to thank him for coming on, giving us his time, getting to know him a little bit. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, I want to thank you for giving me a chance here. You know, we're we're, we're new to the the world of podcasting, and it's 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 rough seas out here. It's, it's dangerous land, so we're doing the best to navigate it. I appreciate you checking it out, and you know, subscribe on iTunes. Check it out on Stitcher. It's on the CBSBoston.com website, and you know, this is what I really want you to do. I want you, you know, tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you like, but I want you to find someone that you really don't like that you really never did like but you know maybe maybe you're getting older and you know you realize time is fleeting and and you should really mend that bridge so you know let me be that fence to your to your former but tell tell this this your mortal enemy whoever it might be that you haven't spoken to in 20 years say you know what the hurley edition is worth your listen and maybe maybe it'll spark a conversation and maybe it will be the, the beginning of a rebirth of your friendship and and you know i think 
I think we can accomplish that here. So give it a try, but do subscribe. Do check it out. I appreciate it. Leave a review as long as it's good. If you write a bad review, that's not very nice, and we're trying to be nice here in case you couldn't pick up on that. So anyways, thank you. I'll stop taking your time, and I'll see you next week.